All right, today we have a special uh, episode or video of uh, an individual who had a unique experience that he actually spent many, many hours uh, training for. It's Dr. Jake Hagee. He ran... 135 miles in the northern Minnesota wilderness, and you actually broke the record. I did. It's I a, did. an event that happens every year, and I just felt that his experience of uh, determination would be great for everyone to listen and hear. Not that I expect anybody to set the goal to do this. <laughs> I would never do that. I, you know, if I run three miles at this point in my life, I'm very happy. So uh, let's get on with it. D Jake's got some, Dr. Jake has some wonderful uh, details of how he got through this race with the temperatures, the snow, and pulling a sled, as you can see on the thumbnail. Go ahead, Jake. I got to let you. Yeah, yep. This. So I've been uh, doing ultra marathons for probably 10 plus years. And just so you know, an ultra marathon is basically any race over the standard marathon, you know, 26.2 distance. So this race that I did is way up in northern Minnesota. Uh, specifically International Falls, which is right on the border of Canada and Minnesota. Um, so the race is the uh, Arrowhead 135. Um, it's been going on for quite a long time, and they actually have three different divisions, a bike, a cross-country ski, and a foot division. And the goal is to go from International Falls to Cook, Minnesota on the Arrowhead Snowmobile Trail. Now, the kicker is that it's at the end of January, which is actually one of the coldest times of year up there. And if you know anything about International Falls, it's called the ice box of the nation because it's one of the coldest places in the continental uh, U.S. So uh, the year that I did it last year, uh, it got down to about negative 30 degrees. And um, this has always kind of been on my bucket list for events and I just decided to, to give it a go. Before we go to far, any farther, Jake, I, I think you better tell them a little bit about yourself because right now people are probably wondering, are you okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How many people actually do this? Totally. But no, Jake is... Uh, go ahead and tell yes. me what your back is. So I, I've been doing, like I said, ultras for 10 plus years. I've actually raced all over the world, um, over in France, you, um, you name it, over in California, down in Florida, North Carolina. I've been doing this whole ultra marathon thing for a long so time. So they're typically 100 miles? Um, yeah, anywhere from 50K to 100 miles. Um, I've done, I mean, gosh, so many races over the years, 50 plus finishes at various races. So the unique thing with these ultras is you're always looking for that, that next challenge. And Arrowhead is notoriously one of the hardest races out there for this reason, because it's in the winter, middle of nowhere, and it's relatively, you know, self-supported. So I was just kind of looking for that next challenge and, and this was it. So, and I do want to say, as we mentioned, he set the record. <laughs> it only took 20... How many hours? Uh, 28, hour, 28 hours and 30 minutes. And you beat the record by how many? Uh, like three, three and a half, something like that. Hours. Yeah. So you were way in front of the pack. Yeah. Uh, so you want to show them the, your trophy? Yeah. So here's the uh, the finisher trophy, or I guess the first place trophy. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a good year. Um, quite a few of my friends were doing it too. Um, a really good friend of mine. Um, actually took second, and she uh, was the first female, and she yeah, she finished second overall, and she also broke the the record as well. Wow. So Great. quite impressive. Um, 
Yeah, so the race, like I said, it's up in northern Minnesota. They allow 150 racers, and you actually have to qualify for the race. Um, you have to submit a resume. They don't just let anyone do it. You have to submit like a race resume with your history and performances and why you should be allowed to do this event because obviously it's super dangerous. Uh, the dropout rate is really high, and the, the race directors make a point of like they want people to obviously you know succeed, but they also want to make the you know the event itself challenging, which they want them to leave vertically, walking yes, out exactly. and not horizontal. Exactly. And that's not even a joke, is it? I no, mean, like no. you said, you're out in the middle of the wilderness with those temperatures. Yep. Bad things could happen. So, yeah, 135 miles, and there's only uh, three checkpoints along the way, uh, mile 35, mile 70, and mile 110. And basically, you just go there, you know, check in. You can refuel on uh, some food and water, and then you're, you're back out there. What so. are you pulling that sled for? So the sled actually is needed. Uh, they have mandatory gear uh, just in case something were to happen. So you're required to bring a negative 20-degree sleeping bag, a bivy sack, a, a portable stove with, obviously, gas, um, 64 ounces of water, 3,000 calories of food, um, extra gloves, hat, jacket, pants. Um, gosh, what else was in there? I mean, it, it ended up being probably about, like, 40 pounds. Sure. Like, if you want to spend a lot of money, you can obviously, you know, get some fancier equipment and lower the weight. But, yeah, the whole sled itself was probably about 40 pounds. And you pull that the whole way. Yep, you, pull, you have to pull it the whole way. They'll actually, they can pull um, at any point. They can, you know, have to check your stuff at the checkpoint. And once you finish, make sure that you have all the necessary gear so you're not skimping on it. So, like, you could throw some off halfway through the race and keep going. Yeah, they don't want not that. recommended. Okay. <laughs> Wow. So how did you feel? I don't know if I should jump into this, but well, let's go at the beginning. You got, does everyone take off at once? Or yeah. Or is so so they time? let the, the bikers go first, then they let the cross country skiers go and then the runners. And it's really cool. It's dark out and the, the gun going off is actually a bunch of fireworks. So <laughs> as soon as the fireworks go off, go for it. Um, so obviously the runners are last to take off. And um, I just remember very vividly, you know, in the dark, all of these blinky lights, you know, way up in front of me, it's actually mandatory that you have uh, some LED blinkies on the front and back of you because it's a snowmobile trail. And obviously you don't want to get taken out by it. So they're all red? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I just remember seeing all these blinky lights way out in front of the trail. And yeah, basically I was like, I got to catch them. <laughs> so I took it out very, very fast. But um, early on, the trail was actually fairly packed, um, meaning like I wasn't sinking into the snow. The sled had some pretty good um, glide to it. So I was moving pretty quick early on. So like the, the first marathon only, a, only <laughs> the first 26.2 miles I mean you're feeling fairly fresh yeah now? yeah I mean you have to look at it as like hey I'm going to be out here for 30 40 50 hours you know you really don't know I'm totally entering a world of unknown distance and conditions so you know my number one goal was obviously just get it done at all costs um, so yeah I mean but you take it early, easy early on to make sure that you you know mentally and physically sure. can finish it out and later. you said you came out out of the hole or the start, maybe a little very fast, fast very fast. Did you settle down within the first few miles, um, or did it take a while? You know, that was kind of my mindset going into it: is take it out a little fast to at least um, take advantage of the good conditions. Sure. Uh, the temperature was probably like 
negative 10 um, to start, but the snow conditions were fast, so he kind of got to get it while it's good. Um, but then you roll into mile 35. It's actually a gas station. Uh, you can go in there, fill up on your food and water. You know, they check your stuff, and then you take off and go to the next one. But around then, it was probably like noon, 1 o'clock, and the temp had actually warmed up to probably like 15, 20 degrees, and the snow had actually gotten a little bit soft. So you could just feel like the sled had a little bit more drag to it. You know, as you're stepping in, you're sinking a little bit more. Um, but yeah, 35, I was still feeling good and honestly felt pretty good all the way up until uh, mile 70, the, the second checkpoint. Uh, went in there, changed out some clothes just to get some dry layers on. But I remember leaving that checkpoint um, heading back onto the trail and I just got chilled to the bone. And the biggest thing with these winter ultra marathons is avoiding sweat. Cause as soon as you start to sweat, your body just gets obviously um, a little bit more exposed to the wind. And once you get chilled, you know, you're way more likely to get, you know, hypothermia and then it's game over. So I left this aid station and I was like, I just put on some fresh layers. I should be good. But all of a sudden I just got chilled to the bone. So I actually stopped. I grabbed a heavier jacket, threw that on, and just kind of hiked for a little bit until I could get my body temp up, uh, probably five, ten minutes. And then um, I actually started to I actually started to go the complete opposite way of, you know, being chilled to actually getting, like, overheated. You know, I started to feel that I was sweating. So I was like, I got to get this jacket off and uh, took it off and then was able to kind of moderate uh, the, the temp and the, through ventilation with my zipper to just get some vent uh, going so I wasn't getting too toasty. So if we look at the thumbnail, which, or maybe we'll have some other footage or other some pictures in this if you're looking on YouTube, you told me you're just wearing, it's not like you're wearing a big puffy coat to stay yeah. warm, it's 10 below. I don't know how that, you know, I can see your core staying warm, <laughs> but what about your hands and your feet? It seems like if it was me, I would be... I just yeah yeah that. so I mean good quality socks obviously our big one um, and honestly I didn't have any hand or foot issues the whole time thank goodness I think it was because I was just keeping the intensity so high that yeah. I just kept circulation going and I never felt like I was overworking but I also felt like I never needed to like you know just walk and slow down either so we got to the second checkpoint now or past that you're at mile seventy. It seems like in that dry, cold weather that you would need copious amounts of water to get through this yep. race. And you had 64 ounces in your back, you know, in Yeah, the sled. 64 ounces in the sled. I mean, you can carry it on you, but then you're at risk for, obviously, it freezing. So I had the water in a thermos, then tucked away in a cooler to, to make sure it didn't yeah. freeze. Um, but, yeah, I unfortunately didn't plan the best uh, in terms of the hydration. I actually was running out of water prior to getting to the checkpoint. So running a little dehydrated, but I took my time at the um, aid station and made sure I, you know, extra hydrated, basically, sure, uh, before be the next before one. Before you left. Exactly. So dehydration wasn't a problem for you? No, not this time. I'm no. assuming <laughs> that's a common thing it, it is, in it any is. of these events. Yep. And yeah, it's like a kind of fine line of like, you know, how much do you carry on you? But, you know, if you have too much, it's just going to weigh you down. But usually you play it a little bit right. on the safer side. So. so you get out of checkpoint at 70 miles, and this is 
15 hours into it or something yep. that, of that nature? Yep. Is it, it's light? Uh, no, it was pitch dark out. Okay. Yes, totally dark out at that time. And so you got one more checkpoint and then the finish. Yep. So psychologically, you're like, I'm over half done, or you don't even think about it. I didn't even think about it. It was because I knew the night was going to be the hardest point. Um, because you have your headlight on, you're on this, you know, kind of wider uh, snowmobile trail, and you're not going to see a thing for hours. I right? mean, you got people <laughs> racing no, in front of you. Behind no, you. unfortunately, you know, I was out and kind of in the lead for the runners. Uh, occasionally, I would see like a uh, a biker that was, you know, maybe walking their bike up the hill oh, or something. Sure. But very, very few people from mile seventy to the finish, maybe maybe four or five other people. What about snowmobiles? Or do they close it down for um, the race? No, so they start the race on a Monday, uh, specifically to avoid any um, heavy snowmobile oh. traffic. But there was quite a few towards the end. Um, but you just, you know, run on the side of the trail, move over, stop, you know, to let them go. And didn't you say something about a groomer, snowmobile yes, groomer? Yes, yeah, probably way? around like mile 90 or so. Um, I was coming down the trail, and I saw a big snowmobile groomer come right out in front of me, and he's laying down fresh track, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be terrible. And I step into it, and I sink down like four or five inches and my sled has all this extra drag and so I'm literally following a snowmobile groomer for like four or five miles like I hope he doesn't go the rest of the way because this would take extra long but I mean yeah that's as fresh as snow can get basically so yeah that was a little disappointing but he pulled off after a few miles and then it kind of got a little bit more um, speedy so sure he must have known the race was going yep yeah so then between 70 and when's the next check? Uh, 110 was the third and final checkpoint. And yep. things went fairly well outside the snowmobile yep. room yes. and the chills and, and you got through that. Yeah, so probably around mile 100, you know, a few miles after the groomer. Like I said, one of the tough things is you're out there in the dark, middle of nowhere. You have this little headlight. You can see maybe 20 feet in front of you. Um, so... I started to actually hallucinate about mile 100 and um, I started hearing some wolves. So I like stopped, like these are a real thing up here. You know, I should double check. So I stopped, looked around with my headlight, couldn't see anything like, okay, we're good. Maybe I'm just, you know, hearing things. So you could hear howling? Yeah, hear some howling. And I saw some tracks earlier too. So he was like, well, I know they're out here. But um, so then kept going, heard it a second time. And I stopped and looked around, didn't see anything. And I was like, okay, whatever. You just keep going. And I heard it a third time. I was like, well, if they get me, they get me. <laughs> so you're, I just keep on running. You're not going to outrun them. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, very, exactly. Very. Um, but one of the cool highlights of the race, too, is uh, obviously you're pulling a sled. So you have to pull the sled up the hills, but you get to ride the sled on the downhill. Uh, so that mm-hmm. was probably my, my favorite highlight of, you know, acting like a little kid, riding your sled full of gear, you know, going 25, 30 miles per hour down Pretty the hill. big hills. Oh, very big hills. Very big hills. Of course, hills. you got to get up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I did take a pretty significant wipeout. There was a sharp left turn, and I didn't steer fast enough, and I just totally ate it and flipped it and rolled into the into the woods. But you didn't hit a tree. No, thankfully. So thankfully. you just shook it off and got up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I laughed about it, and then I just kept going. <laughs> this is after the wolf? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was after. It was later in the yes. race. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, mentally, are you in and out of it at that point when you got? 
I remember that one point I read the article and you said, oh, I've only got a marathon to Yes, go. yeah. <laughs> I mean, only a marathon. You yeah. Know, which, you know, obviously it's... Yeah, so after that last checkpoint, I was like, okay, you know, like you said, only a marathon. I knew I could get it done. It's just one foot in front of the other, however long it takes. And I think it still took me, you know, gosh, seven, eight hours to cover that, you know, last 26.2. Um, but the, the last bit of the course was fairly challenging too with the... Um, it got really windy and it started to snow. And I just remember getting pelted in the face sideways. Like this sucks. Why am I doing this? But you know, I was like, the faster you run, the faster you're done. And I looked down at my watch and I'm going like 13 minute miles, (laughs) even though I'm actually running. But, um, did you experience any, I would imagine joints, muscles, something's got to be tearing you apart. Yeah, I, I did strain my calf um, probably around that, you know, 110 actually after the last checkpoint. And it was just, you know, every single push off was was pretty painful. But at that point, like everything hurts, right? You just right. kind of get used to it. And that, that's <laughs> what I kind of say in some of these is like, you ha- just have to get comfortable feeling uncomfortable and you just keep on moving. It's not like anything was, you know, broken per se. It's just, you know, sore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's different because what, what, how old are you? 31. 31. What's the oldest person that's done this, you know? Good question. Um, gosh, I'd be willing to bet into the 60s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me feel like a wimp. <laughs> I mean, I start getting a calf pull on a three mile run. I just stop and watch because I don't want it to la- I don't want it to ruin my summer. Yeah. You know, for running for the rest of the True. year. But wow. True. Um, so you finish. I mean. Were everyone was cheering, or is there anybody there at all? Yeah, so the, yeah, the finish, uh, like I said, this it started to snow, and the last like five miles were really long. The snow was really like heavy and sticky, so like the sled itself, like just was really hard to pull. And I actually recall like trying to ride down the sled on some of these hills, yeah. and I would like jump on the sled to go, and it would just stop. And I was like, <laughs> this sucks, like I actually have to like pull the sled downhill, like wow. there's no glide to it anymore. Um, and then you just start to question like, okay, maybe the finish is around this corner and you go around the corner, nothing, dang it. Maybe it's around the next corner. And so that just goes on for a few more miles, but you know, you're obviously getting closer. And then, yeah, I finally came around the corner and you just see this like orange snow fence and the finish line. It's like a slight uphill. I was like, I got to run it in. And in my mind, I'm sprinting. And then I see a video afterwards. I'm like, wow, that looks really painful. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, finished. And then, um, saw some familiar faces and then I was like, you guys, I got to get inside. And so we went into the, it finishes at this big resort and they do the, the gear check. And I just remember as soon as I sat down after the race, my body just like shut down, just like. So you could act, you got across the finish line. And you did, just didn't collapse? No, thank, I, I knew I had to get inside yeah. um, just because as soon as I sat down, it was game over. Right. Um, so, yeah, went inside. They, you know, do the gear check to make sure I still had all my stuff. And I just remember sitting down. Just there's a there's a photo. I should find it for you guys, like of me just covered with a hood over my head, like giving a thumbs up. And I just look completely dead to the world. <laughs> so what do you do? Do you sleep for a day after that? Or um, what's the recovery? So I tried to. Uh, I laid in the hotel bed and my legs just ached. You know, anytime I would move over, it was like, oh, that hurts, that hurts. But um, yeah, eventually I fell asleep and so you know, took a nice shower. So within two days, three days a week before you could walk around without 
issues? Uh, yeah, because of the calf strain, it it took quite a long time. Sure. I mean, I had no desire to you know run or anything <laughs> either. So, so it was basically just kind of hobble crazy. around. You have sanity. <laughs> oh <there>. yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. You got to enjoy the downtime right. too. So the post right. race highs. Yeah. So why don't we? You know, you're the ideal person to take care of yourself yeah. because. All your running, but you're a doctor of physical therapy. Yep. Uh, you graduated, what, 10 years ago or eight? Uh, yeah, eight years ago. Yeah, who's counting? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, and you are, you have your own therapy clinic. Yep. You work with a lot of athletes. You do, ha you're a running coach as part of your business. Yes, yep. Do you want to talk about that in case there's some people who want to get some yeah, tips? Yeah, You're obviously an expert. So, yeah, I also have like a running coach business where I, you know, assist people in training for events like this. Like I said, I had a couple other athletes doing the event as well. Um, but basically, you know, making sure that they're prepared for the event as well. And that's why I felt, you know, confident going into this is, you know, building up that training block and, you know, doing something specific to address, you know, covering 135 miles. You can't just, you know, get off the couch and do this thing, right? Even experienced, you know, marathoners, ultra marathoners, this is kind of one of those, you know, extreme, extreme events. Right. Um, so yeah, I, with the coaching side of things, you know, working with individuals of all abilities in all sorts of goals from, you know, beginner 5Ks all the way up to, you know, the Arrowhead 135. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I just think this is something that are there a lot of coaches like you out there for running? Or? Um, we're kind of a unique breed having the uh, the physical therapy background with the running coach because, you know, you have to wear the different hats, right? You know, is is the progression, you know, proper for training load, but are you doing enough additional mobility, stability to, uh, you know, supplement the training side of things too, Things right? like core exercise, hip things that like we talked about before, it, a lot of runners may not address that. Exactly. And they're having problems with injuries as a result of weak muscles Exactly, in the hips. exactly. So like a race like this, for example, right, it's not just go out there and run. It's, you know, do you have good core strength, good hip stability to pull a sled? You know, so you, the training's looking like, you know, doing some heavier uh, weightlifting, you know, squats, lunges, you know, working on some step-ups to, you know, kind of simulate climbing the hills, right. things like right. that. Right. You're your father, right? Yep, two little ones, four and two years old. Did you did you pull your kids yes. for part of the oh, training? Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> There's some pretty funny videos out there of me pulling the the top the four year old. Um, yeah, I'd hook him up on the sled. We'd go over to the Great River Trail, and yeah, we would just run down. And you wouldn't I'd, do a marathon with No, them. no. I think the longest <laughs> we would make it was like eight miles. And I basically <laughs> would just fill the sled. You know, it was, you know, the nice sunny days where it's not too cold. I'd fill the sled with toys and snacks. I was like, all right, buddy, here we go. <laughs> Uh, I think that's, you know, with my daughter, when she was that age, I used to run, and we had one of those running things in the summer. Yep, yep. I didn't take her out and pull her around. <laughs> but, you know, it was fun for me, and I think she's having fun. I mean, she's a runner now. She yeah, just ran yeah. her first half marathon. Nice. She's 26 years old. And, well, next week. Friday. Friday, yeah. Anyways, April. Anyways, yeah. my memory. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I just can imagine how that is yeah, going to and affect your, your children's Definitely. <laughs> and I have one of those like uh, kid runners, if you've ever seen them, instead of the normal like push strollers, okay. it's actually a pole. It just kind of wraps around your waist and there's like a little chariot thing that they basically sit oh, really? in the back. So really kind of simulates the whole sled pulling motion as oh, well. Wow. So yeah. um, that was a valuable training tool wow. as well. So if someone does want to get a hold of you and they're interested in your services, uh, we'll have a link below the video. You can click on that, get to yep. the site that they awesome. can get a hold of you. So awesome. 
Wow. I feel, I don't know if I feel exhausted <laughs> or just all pumped up just to listen to such yeah, an adventure. Yeah, it is quite the adventure. And that's ultimately why, you know, do these things, right? It's like finding those unique things to push your body and your mind, you know, to the next limits. You know, a marathon obviously is challenging in itself, but, you know, there's something unique about doing these extreme ultra marathons where you're going to go to, a, you know, I kind of call it the, the pain cave, right? If you're going to a place that you normally wouldn't go, go on a, you know, day-to-day life or even in a marathon, right? You're going to experience a lot of, you know, physical fatigue and you might hit the wall, but you're not going to be out there for, you know, 20, 30 hours and, you know, experience what, you know, extreme, you know, sleep deprivation or dehydration or being out in the wilderness, you know, hallucinating the wolves. It just kind of creates these unique experiences to, to pull from for the I'm future. Glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it is. It's nice to experience it through your story because I'm not even going to think about going five miles. It's all good. good. (laughs) They do actually have a, another winter uh, ultra out there. That's on my bucket list someday, the Iditarod. So the, the sled dog race actually has a human version um, as well. Uh, There's a, there's a 350 and 1000. Yeah. It's on my bucket list. 350 what? Kilometer? Miles. 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 Through the Alaskan wilderness. You're not. Uh, are you going to do this one again? Um, I'll do it again someday. I would probably use. Um, I think there's some valuable lessons that I learned, you know, from this year <laughs> yeah. that I would I would do it again. Um, the tough thing, honestly, is you know living here in the Midwest is you know committing to a training cycle throughout the winter. Well, especially when you you work and you have a family and then you've got to get training. Yep. So especially, you know, the winter, it's, you know, dark, you know, pretty much all day. So you'd finish up work like, do I really want to go outside and train, you know, in the (laughs) cold and the um, dark and whatnot. But I mean, it's perfect training grounds for, you know, something like this. So. All right. Very good. I hope you enjoyed Jake's experience. uh, And if you haven't heard of the 135, the Arrowhead 135. Yep. Now you know it's at, up there. And if you're from Minnesota, Wisconsin, you might want to go up and watch it, huh? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> uh, All right. Thank yes, you so much, Yes, thanks for having Jake. me. It was a Appreciate blast. It.